Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, September 3rd, 2014. Today we are reading from the Big Book, Chapter 11, and we are at page 151, the last paragraph. Today's readers are Deb W., Penny C., and Michelle H., the reference number for Tuesday, September 2nd is 6808. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive overeating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Mary H. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, this is Mary. Step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service. Thank you, Mary. I will now ask Julie R. to read the 12 traditions. Julie, please press star one to unmute. Hi, this is Julia R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in California. Twelve traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, 
for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest money, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Pass. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book, of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no absence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that you, your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 151 uh, at the last paragraph, now and then, a serious drinker. I will ask Deb W. to begin reading. Hi, this is Deb W. in uh, Oklahoma. Morning, everyone. Now and then, a serious drinker being dry at the moment says, I don't miss it at all, feel better work better, having a better time. As ex-problem drinkers, we smile at such a sally. We know our friend is like a boy whistling in the dark to keep up his spirits. He fools himself. Inwardly, he would give anything to take half a dozen drinks and get away with them. He will presently try the old game again, for he, hasn't, he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know the loneliness such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place. He will wish for an end. 
So this kind of reminds me of uh, a person, well, this sounds like a person who hasn't been through the steps and may have a few days of, that he was able to stay away from uh, most of his binge foods and, you know, of course, is in total denial uh, about uh, the dilemma that he's in. Um, you know, I, I like the part where it says inwardly he would give anything to take a half, and do, half a dozen drinks and get away with them because uh, at this point, I wasn't really ready to give up, you know, to admit total defeat. You know, I could find, you know, half a dozen uh, normal people that would tell me if I would even suggest the things that I would, you know, would the program would tell me I didn't need to have anymore that, you know, my fellow recovered people would tell me would not work for me. And I knew they didn't need to tell me. I knew for myself these this type of eating was not working for me. Well, I could say that from my mouth, but in my heart and in my spirit, I wasn't ready to give them up. So, yeah, if I could get it, have gotten away with it, I would have gone back to the food and, and, and ate, and I did. In relapse, I did. I went back and forth. I'd go in and out of meetings. I'd be angry most of the times when I would go in the meeting. I got up and walked out a lot of the times. I cried most of the times, and then I'd go back to the food and, when I was in relapse. At this stage, I'm at the sentence that says, he will be unable to imagine life with it or without it. So there was the discontent, um, the place in my, uh, before we coming back and, and getting out of the food, that I was unhappy eating and I was unable not to eat it, okay? It was the place of the point of making the decision, you know. That is a lonely place. I'm there all by myself and I'm about ready to jump off because uh, it is a miserable place to be in. Um, um, so this is what I'm, I'm getting from this uh, place, um, that we have to get to the point of making that decision or else, like I've heard them say before, there is no third door in the block. There's no third house in the block. It's either I will go back into the disease and eat, uh, continuing to be miserable, or else I will look, seek spiritual help. And this is not where this guy is in this paragraph, seeking spiritual help. He is at the the, the turning point. Uh, a lot of times when I've come to that turning point, I can vision myself um, like I'm at a fork in the road, and there's two uh, roads that I can take. And rather than to take either, I'm sitting on the curb contemplating and when I'm contemplating, I'm in the food. So I have to get up and make a decision one way or another. Because for me, being the real compulsive eater, this will never change. I will, the rest of my life, I will have this issue, this dilemma. And unless I go through the steps and give up the uh, binge foods, I will always be sitting on that curb uh, looking for an easier, softer way. And thank you, Dr. Bass. Thank you, Deb W. Who would like to comment on what was shared? I mean, on the paragraph. Sarah W. Kim. Larry. That's it. Kim, Sarah W., Larry. 
Rakefit? Rakefit. Okay, let's start with Kim. Then Sarah W., Larry, and Rakefit. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. This is a place I love to bring people who are returning over and over to OA. Um, so I'm going to bring out that sentence. He, he will presently try the old game, game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. You know, we have this twofold illness. We have this allergy of the body, this permanent disability that once we ingest certain substances, it creates a phenomenon of craving. We are always going to have that feeling intensified. It'll never satisfy. And there is a freedom, an absolute freedom from the allergy not being triggered. You know, my personal experience is I'm getting up a little bit easier. My mind's not as cloggy. I'm starting to understand people, tolerate people a little bit more. There's an absolute freedom in that. And I thought that was the solution to my problem. But my bigger problem is the obsession of the mind. The obsession of the mind, even when I'm separated from those foods that trigger the allergy, that I have a mind that tells me, come on. Come on, the only way you're going to get ease and comfort is to pick up the food. So what we're talking about here is someone who is abstaining from the alcohol, abstaining from those binge foods, and they're, not, they're feeling that freedom, and they think that's it. So they're whistling in the dark because they're treating a twofold illness with a one-fold solution. You know, I can remember so vividly speaking at a meeting almost a year ago, and they gave out coins. And the girl got a 30-day coin, and her sponsor was telling her how wonderful she was at all the human aid, all the human aid things that she did with meetings and phone calls and following her food plan and calling her sponsor, nothing about the steps. And when the girl took the chip, she said, I'm almost embarrassed to take this because I have so many at home, but I've never in 10 years gotten a 60-day chip. Why is that? Because when we only treat the allergy of the body, we are at the mercy of the larger aspect of our disease. So we have to ask ourselves, do we have both allergy of the body and obsession of the mind? So if we are, being, we are abstaining, if we are free from the allergy, if we are not ingesting those foods anymore, if I can't get happy abstinence only, if abstinence does not solve my problems, if those bedevilments on page 52 haunt me, in my experience, more when I was abstinent than when I was in the food. But if I can get happy being abstinent only, then I probably don't need to do the steps. And in my humble opinion, you're probably not a compulsive overeater. Because if you can get happy abstinent by just treating the allergy, then you don't have the twofold nature of this disease. But if you cannot get comfortable abstinent, if your consequences of abstinence only is restless, irritable, discontentment, uncomfortability on your own skin, that is a miserable and a frightening place to be. And that's what they're talking about. That's when we get off that jumping place, when the thing that we think is going to solve our problem, abstinence, winds up just intensifying our problem, which is the ism of our alcoholism. So it's very important that we understand the difference between the freedom from the allergy being triggered, which is treated with accidents, and the freedom from the mental obsession, which is only treated with a relationship with a higher power, which is attained through working the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Pam. Sarah W., you're up. Uh, good morning, Katie. 
Thank you for your service. Good morning, Vision for You. This is Sarah W., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater. You know, it is a great place in the book, and, and the two people that shared prior to me did such a beautiful job of placing us right where we need to be as far as seeing what the reality is. You know, I remember a sponsor, a second sponsor I had, told me that um, the concept or the the principle behind the first step was um, admission or honesty. And I think, you know, to really fully concede to my innermost self that I am a compulsive overeater, you know, I will die one. I mean, this is not going to change for me. And so, you know, the, you know, the question is how much am I willing to do to get to where I need to be? And I was thinking about the idea of, the, um, you know, am I willing to go to any length, you know, have I reached the place of desperation where I want to really get better? And, you know, that's going to require a lot of action on my part. And as Tim was talking about, you know, the whole thing is really all about the steps. I mean, it really is. Um, you know, I can put it down, but then I'm I'm dieting. And I still have those parts of myself that are so unhappy. And, you know, in going back and, and remembering, like, on page 28, it talks about this, a new life has been given us, or if you prefer a design for living that really works. You know, that's the whole thing. You know, it's not just a change in my eating habit. You know, yes, I need to put down the food, but I really need to change my ideas, my beliefs, my values, the way I behave in life. It's not really an easy thing, but with with a higher power in the second step, which of course is my favorite step, you know, coming to believe that God can restore me to sanity. I have to think that 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 you know God can restore me to sanity. I have to believe that I can be restored to sanity, and then I walk into the rest of the steps. You know, I think the first step is basically saying, "Yeah, I have this big problem." And I really don't know what to do with it, and I'm powerless over it. But the second step brings me into the idea that, yes, with these steps, I can be restored to sanity, one day at a time in a daily reprieve, if I keep my spiritual condition right with my higher power, you know, if I keep on going back to that source and not thinking that I am doing it, that I am the one that's in control, because that's just, you know, controlling the food, and eventually the food's going to come back. There's no doubt about it if I don't start working the steps. So I'm very grateful for this knowledge today, and um, and I'm glad we're all on the line together. But that'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And Larry, your turn. Good morning, Katie. Uh, this is Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty daunting, um, if not overwhelming, you know, if you're a true compulsive overeater like me who's suffering, you know, on a daily basis, you know, it's it's an overwhelming thing to think that you'll, you'll never really be over this illness. And, you know, when you, when you know you can be recovered, that the illness can be gone, you know, not cured but gone, a thing in the past, you know, it, it offers encouragement to suffer through what it takes to get well. Because all of the suffering will eventually come to an end, you know, and and that's what happened to me. You know, after decades of, of the prison, the suffering finally came to an end. You know, no more whistling in the dark for me, 
um, anyone who's, who's uh, you know, presently holding their breath underwater, <clears throat> they know how emotionally draining and how physically exhausting that is. You know, I mean, that, I remember how exhausting that is. It's terrible. And you see, the 10-step promises went for me from, they went from hopeful words on a page, you know, and a reminder of what I hadn't yet experienced to reality for me. So, I mean, I, you know, here's the recipe that I used for staying stuck, you know, for staying disconnected from the God of my understanding. What I did was, on a daily basis, my actions were living proof that I was to hold this solution, these steps in contempt prior to investigation. And, you know, to hold the spiritual solution in contempt for me was at the core of my, my misery. In other words, you know, to hold something con- in contempt is not just having, you know, like healthy skepticism, you know. Um, the truth was my contempt was that I had disdain for the notion that God would actually remove this obsession of the mind. My cravings I could feel, they, they seemed real to me. The God that I was blocked off from, not real. And, and I'm not going to be a sucker. I'm not going to be a sap. You know, I learned long ago that the tooth fairy and Santa Claus were not real. Big newsflash, right? And now I'm being asked to, to, to work some, some, some steps that are going to connect me to God. Sorry, that, that's beneath consideration. That's contempt. That's worthless to me. And I have people that come to me and ask me sometimes for my help. Just yesterday, another person, and person's miserable. No joy in his life owned by the disease, yet, you know, people reveal themselves when they try to convince me (laughs) that the promises are not real or, you know, that's their experience. See, my experience is something different today. You know, there there is no convincing me. Why? Because I've I've experienced the promises. When you're recovered by the grace of God after working these steps, you transition from a sense of hope to, a, to an actual experience. And this is what happened to me after, after completing steps four through nine, the action steps in particular. On page 85, you know, it says, we will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. So I'm no longer abstinent and miserable. I'm free, man. I'm free. And, and you could be too. God did that for me. No more contempt. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Okay, uh, Rakefit. Katie, did you say Rakefit? Yes, I did. I'm sorry, I was unmuting. Um, This is Rakefit, compulsive overeater in California. And I want to say that I experienced that place many times, actually where I couldn't live with the food, I couldn't live without the food, and I knew loneliness like no other. And this happened to me many times when I relapsed. I would eat day after day after day, and I would just want to die. I didn't want to face the day because I couldn't stop eating, and I couldn't live without the food. I couldn't. I couldn't get through the day without the food, and I hated every minute of my eating and couldn't stop. I would... Uh, go to bed at night and pray to God for the willingness 
to try the next day, and a willingness to, to try to put the food down. And I'd wake up in the morning very early, five or six, and immediately start binging, immediately. And then the day was over. I wanted the day. I didn't want that day. A dead, that day was a dead day if I was going to be eating all day. And I did, it was a dead day by 6 a.m. in the morning because I had already binged so heavily. And day after day after day of this is just so painful, so painful. It had to get so painful that the pain of eating was just a tiny, tiny bit bigger than the pain of not eating. So the pain of eating was 51% and the pain of not eating was 49%. It was hard. It was really, really hard because I did want the food and I was feeling so uncomfortable in my skin, so much pain living without the food, but knowing knowing that if I go back to the food, I'm going to die. I'm simply going to die. And what I had to do is what the big book, big book says. I had to get to that place where the pain was so great that I was willing to put down the food and pick up God. That's really what it came to. Put down the food, pick up God, and follow the simple steps laid out in this book. They're simple, very simple, but they're not easy. They're a hard, hard work. And I know for myself that if I don't follow these steps every day, and if I don't continue to pick up God every day, that I will be back in that place of extreme, extreme pain. I don't know if I could survive it again. I don't know. I get to that point where I just I just don't want to live. I can't live with this much pain. I would scream to God, I can't live like this. I can't live like this until I was able to put down the food and pick up God. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Okay, who else would like to share on this paragraph? Leah. Leah? Okay, go ahead, Leah. Thanks so much. Rochelle? I'm sorry, who was that? Rochelle. Okay, Leah and then Rochelle. Thank you. Thank you so much. He will presently try the old game again, for he isn't happy about his sobriety. He cannot picture life without alcohol. Someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. These lines have always had a lot of meaning to me because, you know, I remember being cornered. I remember being cornered. It was, you know, some time ago, but I remember this pain because it was that double standard. You know, if I don't get to binge, I am going to die, (laughs) which competed with if I continue binging, it's going to kill me. And and that was the cornering uh, for me you know, in active addiction, because I had stopped, you know, it said inwardly, he would give anything to take a half dozen drinks and get away with them. You know, (laughs) this isn't about stopping. I had stopped thousands of times. How do you not start again? How do you find a way to get comfortable sober? And this process, you know, of, you know, sometimes referred to as hitting bottom, uh, you know, not a, not a comfortable spot. This is not a feel-good step since the purpose of it is to empty out any residual notion that I actually had any power within myself to help or heal myself. I had to experience this powerless so that it became the launching pad of desperation to seek and find power through the implementation of these steps because abstinence is physical and I'm suffering from a disease which only a spiritual experience is going to conquer. 
abstinence is physical. Abstinence can't solve a spiritual problem. <laughs> you know, I can't solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. So, you know, thank God for the steps which comes along, you know, because of implementing those steps, following directions, putting the food down first, and then working through the steps in proper sequence by following the clear-cut directions here allows for that obsession of the mind, the greater aspect of my disease, to be driven out so that I can be restored to sanity, so that I do have soundness of mind, so that I've been relieved of the obsession, so that allows me to walk free and to be comfortable in this place. Because, you know, ordinary religion, uh, you know, isn't enough for people like us. What we're talking about is a transforming experience, a conversion experience, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery, and that's exactly what I got through these steps, a connection, a relationship with something greater, with something immeasurable and indestructible that could drive out that obsession of the mind and allow me to be happy, joyous, and free. It's really, it's really incredible. And uh, I hope uh, everyone on the line who's still suffering will um, surrender themselves to this process because it really does work. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Rochelle. Oh, was that beautiful. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, everybody, for being on this line. Thank you for this meeting. Thank you for the program. Thank you for going through the book. Oh, my goodness. I feel so blessed. So this is Rochelle in Baltimore, recovering food, recovered food addict. I, I really am so grateful because even though I've been in program now over six years and I've been abstinent over six years, it's such a deepening experience. So coming back to why I asked to be able to share, when I look at page 152 and I see that line about uh, someday he will be unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it, to me it's the opposite. To me it's the opposite because... I never thought that I would be able to be in my life without having food, 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 and then, in effect, be without it. By that, I mean without my binges. I remember being a little girl and having Thanksgiving parties with my extended family, and I was so excited because it meant my mother wasn't watching me, and I'd be able to eat as much as I, as my little tummy could hold. And uh, oh, that was such a sense of, oh, boy, am I full, am I stuffed up, and it felt so good. And today it's not like that. Today, there's a blessing in that food, and that means that that portion that I eat, that 4.0 ounces, is enough for me. And it's such a sense of my tummy is not distended. It's, um, it's enough for me. It's what I want. I don't want to be overfilled today. I want to have what's enough for me, and I know what's enough because my sponsor told me, have this and don't have that. It also means that at times that if I'm unhappy... If there's something that's bothering me and causing anxiety, discontent, dis-ease, I know the answer is not in the food. In the old days, it would be, oh, I'm feeling this way. Let's eat something fast. I'll feel better. Uh-uh. Today, it's, is there something bothering me? If I'm feeling dis-ease, what I need to do is not eat, even if it's my lunchtime. I have to think about it. I've got to meditate. I've got to ask God's help. I've got to relax. I've got to accept what's going on. I've got to think about what is it that's bothering me because I do not want to eat when I am discontent because I do not want to bring on a binge. 
So today it's being happy with my meals. It's being able to eat that, that small amount of food. It's not small, I should say, enough amount of food. And, um, and then here it says, then he will know loneliness such as you do. No, no, no. I did know loneliness. Today I know society. I have friends. I can call out. I can reach out. I can make phone calls. I could not have that loneliness. But today my, my life is enriched with, uh, with program and um, with everything that comes with it. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I will ask Penny C. to uh, begin reading the next two paragraphs. Good morning. This is Penny C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. We have shown how we got out from under. You say, yes, I'm willing, but am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see? I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I? Have you a sufficient substitute? Yes, there is a substitute, and it is vastly more than that. It is a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship, and so will you. And wow, just, just reading that last sentence, that we found the fellowship, and so will you. What a promise. What a promise. But that this is not a promise that... You know, all you have to do is, uh, you know, listen to a vision for you every morning or, you know, or, or go to meetings, work the tools. Um, it's, it's, it's predicated on the proposition that we read this book, we study this book, we, we work these steps, and we live in steps 10, 11, and 12. And then, then we will find that our life has taken on this new meaning. This is, this, this is a, a wonderful promise, but it doesn't, come, it doesn't come without responsibilities and without work. And, and, and when, when it says um, there's a substitute and it's the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and for me, Overeaters Anonymous, I... I I think about the days before I got here and what it was like. And that's exactly the words that they use in that first paragraph. I felt stupid. I mean, I, I, as, as, you know, well as I did in school, as, as many, um, you know, um, honors I, I received for academics. Here I was, baffled and, and, and owned by food, by this inanimate object. And, and so, you know, what else was that but, but stupid in my mind? And boring and glum. Um, I couldn't get out from under the, the food thoughts. And, and not only was I these stupid, boring, and glum, I, I, I was downright obnoxious. I was judgmental, I was complaining, I was critical of 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 everybody and everything. And and it's so true that I did I did find 
the most satisfactory of my years of my life have come since since in, in it's not it's not just the fellowship the fellowship was is wonderful continues to be wonderful most of my friends are people who follow the 12 steps but it took the work it took the the the, the work of not only not only doing the steps but but living the steps and lastly um it doesn't tell me here yet but working with others it's it's and it is working with others but it is such a pleasure just as dr bob says it 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 is a pleasure and it and and i realize every time i work with another compulsive overreader i am assuring my myself against a possible slip so it 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 works both ways and with that i'm going to pass thank you Thank you, Penny. Who would like to comment on these two paragraphs? Sally, Janice. Sally and someone, and then Janice. Barbara. Oh, Sally, Barbara, and Janice. Anybody else? Okay, Sally, go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, a vision for you. It's Sally, recovered compulsive overeater in South Jersey. I really just wanted to share, um, speak to this line here. But am I to be consigned to a life where I shall be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see? And I, I look at that line and I I think about how, uh, how different life is uh, without food being the center of attraction in my life, without food being my every waking thought, um, either what will I eat next or how can I control this in- incredible, insatiable hunger that just will not stop. And I think about how people might look at somebody who's recovered um, because it's like being a foreigner in some ways. I, I It's hard to explain this thought that I've been thinking for a few days how um, it's like being in a foreign land to be in the land of recovered. And I think that people, when they're just getting started on their journey to the land of recovered and thinking in a different way, becoming reorganized, as Ebby did, um, becoming recreated in our thinking. And, and we really are recreated because instead of every single waking thought being about the food, our waking thoughts are about turning to our higher power and to um, just a whole different way of thinking. It's, it's what the book describes as having um, living in, um, in a different uh, manner of living, a different way of living, different principles of living. It, 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 every chapter, it describes it another way, a new design of living. Um, and it's just such a different way of thinking to be thinking in this in the place that I'm at today and I think about um the idea that if you travel to another country and there's a whole different form of of um monetary system they have a different language they have a different culture um they're just a different people and that's what happens to us when we become recovered we really do take on the form of a different country a different 
landscape of our thinking. And so when I describe this, you know, what will I look like? Am I to be consigned to? And the, and the interesting thing is I remember when I was putting the food down and thinking about what will I look like if I'm not thinking about food all day? What would life look like? If in 52 years that was my thinking was what will I eat next? Um, how can I get more? And how can I control this appetite? And so I can really see when it says where shall I you know, shall I be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people? What will I look like? And I just want to say, I hope that if you're listening, that you will put your hand out. Let someone take your hand. Or even better yet, take the stick that they offer you and let them pull you out of the quicksand that surrounds you. It's an incredibly different place, a different mindset to be living in the land of recovered. And it's um it's something you won't want to miss. You really won't want to miss it. Thanks for letting me share. Can I pass? Okay, uh, Barbara. Thank you. This is Barbara, recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. I love these paragraphs because it takes me back. It takes me back to the misery and the loneliness. Uh, at the end of the disease when it it was like an impossible thought of living without food and yet it was impossible to live with it with the constant being driven and binging and the depression all the all the other you know earmarks of the disease and then the going to a meeting and finding people who had been doing what I was doing had been living the way I was living that living death and that misery, and there they were, happy, joyous, and free. And I couldn't ever imagine it. How did they do it? What did they do? Show me, tell me. And there is the description in the big book, and there are the living, breathing big books right in the room. Um, and the, the bond came from knowing that they had been as miserable as I was and that I could join them on that, quote, that road, trudging that road. And um, I needed to have to take them by the hand because I couldn't go, <clears throat> for me, right to God because God was uh, frightening and judging uh, and it was gloomy. And I didn't want to be that way and I didn't want to be like the people who were God-fearing and God-loving because they didn't have a joy of life. And I wanted, I wanted both. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be with God. I wanted a joy of life. So I needed to see God in the people, and I did. They were the ones who were accepting, loving, caring, and who showed me the way along the path, who walked me through the book and through the experiences, through the launching pads that I needed with the physical, emotional, and spiritual recovery through the steps. And they who said, you know, come on, Barbara, lighten up, lighten up. I needed very specific lessons from the fellowship about how to live and how to look for joy and find joy. And then as I came and came to and came to believe it could be more of a direct uh, inspiration and intuition with God. But the reason I like the emphasis on the fellowship is that for me, in my experience, I needed that hand that took me and led me uh, to, my, to my God and to the deep experience where so I came to believe. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you. Janice, your turn. 
Yes, thank you, Katie. My name is Janice M., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. We have shown how we got out from under. Who are we? We are the recovered people now talking. They have to be recovered because if they found a way out, then they're recovered. Finding a way out is not just being abstinent like I was in the rooms or the rooms that I went to years and years and years ago. Um, there was no way out. I mean, I was abstinent. We just talked about how a non-recovered person in disease experiences, like myself, I don't know if everybody did, but I know I did, experience the four horsemen. Um, I'm not like that today. And, you know, the, the title of the chapter is A Vision for You, which tells me it's God's vision for you and for me. This is what's going to happen. This is the, the, the crystal ball, say, through the 12 steps. These are the things that are going to happen. Because how do we know? Because we experience it. I've been in, you know, for decades. And this is the best time of my life. And why? Because I found a way out through the principles of the 12 steps of recovered people. You know, I mean, fellowship, where were they? They were in a fellowship. But I, I found the group that wasn't just with the physical treatment. It was the obsession that was my real problem. And I found the vision that God has led me to is the vision for you, not only the group, but this is the, the fellowship that, um, you know, it's like choosing two houses. Which, which, one, which one can you get out of? Well, it's this house here that is from recovered people, you know, that have brought me through the steps. This is God's vision for me. Trust us, those that are recovered. It is the most satisfactory years of my existence lie ahead. See, that's the future. This is what's going to happen. You're not going to experience, uh, I don't experience, I'm full of fear. I'm, I'm very confused, um, very insecure, um, loss of hope or confidence. I, I, I don't feel like that today. Things do come up, but I know what to do with them today. See, that's God's vision for me. And that's going to be, that is for me, as long as I keep in you know, fit spiritual condition and continue and continue to to uh, to practice these steps. It's what's going to happen to you because we're never going to find it just with abstinence. I mean, I don't know, maybe you can, but I never could for over 30 years. So um, this is the answer. This is the, the way out, the obsession, that burning obsession to get to that food, you know, um, is is gone for the day. The problem has been solved. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you. And this is Kate. I'd like to share. Um, yes, I'm willing, but am I to be consigned to a where I should be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see? And, you know, I really had no idea how to live life without the food. I I started eating um, compulsively at a very young age, um, and so I, I was so emotionally uh, stunted when I got here and got abstinent and got started working these steps, and my life started changing. That I I had no idea what was going to be ahead of me, but I did know 
that what I was doing wasn't working. I knew that I did not want to go back to that. And so a day at a time, I have learned how to live um, and coexist. You know, as uh, someone else shared, you know, we're like foreigners. Sally, I think. You know, it's like I'm living in a foreign country where um, me and my people, you know, we're all speaking the same language. And then there's these other people who, you know, can go out on now and then and, and eat a lot. And then the next day they're like, oh, I, I ate too much. I'm not going to do that today. And I am the opposite of that. You know, I, I eat something I really love and I never get full. I have no full button. So, you know, I have found a way out and, um, you know, it's, it's more than a sufficient substitute. It is far from being boring and glum. And it's so different, though, than what I anticipated it to be. And, you know, it's such a beautiful journey, uh, this life of recovery. But it's not easy and it's not always um, pretty. But waking up every morning without a hangover and without uh, regret and remorse and the hideous four horsemen is worth any amount of momentary pain that I sometimes have to go through. Um, and the, what I have, the sufficient substitute, is a fellowship. I mean, I checked earlier, there was 240-some people on this line. You know, I know that if for some reason all the people I know you know, stopped answering the phone when I called them, there's a phone list of 1,800 people that I can just, you know, pick any number and call that person and I will be uh, brought back to reality by giving service or by listening or by sharing or by uh, giving hope. And that's the great miracle of this program. I don't have to live for food today and I don't have to live in that sick, shadowy world. And I'm so grateful. So with that, I pass. Who would like to share? We have a time for about one more, two more people. This is Sharon H. in Colorado. Sharon H., okay. Go ahead. Oh, thank you, Katie. Um, thank you for your service. And uh, this is Sharon uh, H., recovered compulsive overeater in Colorado. and. Um, these two paragraphs uh, just really hit home with me, this shall I be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I struggled for so many years in this program that, um, yeah, I began to feel really stupid that I, you know, what am I, why can't I get this? Why, 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 why me, 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 you know? And and I just did not understand. And I could really relate, I think, uh, to someone else who said, how can I be powerless over something inanimate on a plate or in a box or in a bag? I just could not make that connection. And so, and this old belief system of being stupid was, a, was one that I carried from early childhood that was one of those shaming things, that uh, woundedness in, in my soul and my being. And um, <clears throat> so then I start listening to this meeting and everything changes. But what changed was I finally saw that I did have a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body when it came to the food. And that's what I, I was just unwilling or unable to see. Um, and so it sent me back out over and over again because 
yes, I couldn't imagine my life with food or without food. That's to the point I had gotten. And so um, now I come on this line uh, every morning. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't see any of these people face to face, but I have such a um, fellowship of uh, people that I call and they call me and, and, and work the steps like I'd never worked them since very early on in another program. And so I'm just so grateful because this is the difference. These two paragraphs just show us the, the before and then the after of what we receive. And, and uh, I love this uh, chapter too, uh, God's vision for you, because it took being willing to totally uh, surrender these old belief systems I had regarding, regarding food to God and then to experience as a result of working the steps these very things, this release from care, boredom, worry, and for me, stupidity. <laughs> and then uh, the imagination will be fired. There's five promises here. And life will mean something at last. And the most satisfactory years of your ex existence lie ahead. Wow, you know, I mean, I'm just am amazed, amazed, and so very, very grateful. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, Sharon. We have time for one. Suji. Okay, Suji, go ahead. Okay, well, hello, visionaries. Suji recovered in Pennsylvania, back in Pennsylvania after my journey to Massachusetts and then to New Jersey, where I visited some very old and lovingly dear, dear friends of my family that I grew up with. Oh, brother, my, and this freedom in recovery is amazing. So the elder of these two, one is uh, 10 years younger than me. The other is uh, my friend Jean, who's 92 years old and is basically dying of congestive heart failure, which sounds awful. But I just this just blew my mind. So there I was. And she was a very loving friend of my mother and father as well as me. All of these people were. And I hadn't seen them, and they're very quiet unto themselves, and they sometimes, if something's wrong, they don't tell you until you call them. So I called on my way home thinking, well, you know, as I often have, I'll stop at their house if they're there and it's convenient, and I'll visit them on my way home. It's a a break two hours before I finish my horrible northeast corridor trip from Massachusetts to Philly. So I stopped there, and Jeannie is very sick, and she can hardly get out of bed, and she's sleeping, and she's she's got terrible numbers in her heart disease, and she's coughing, and she's she's just she almost died recently and came back from the dead, like her daughter Cynthia describes this miracle of how she came back. And there I am with her, and and she's thrilled to see me despite her condition, and I'm thrilled to see her. And then she says, Susie, she says, I've given up. I, I've just given up. And, and her daughter says, you know, she won't take her medicine, she won't do this, she won't do that. And there, out of my mouth, comes, well, you know, it's really, I know you feel awful, but, you know, if you just don't do anything about it, all that's going to happen is you're going to feel awful. If you take medicine, 
maybe it won't work, but maybe it will. Maybe you'll feel a little better. And she says, that's true. And then she tells her daughter to call the doctor and find out what to do next. And I, my, I, I mean, there it is. There's steps one and two again. Uh, just like we've been reading about the the foundation, the stuff you must accept in order to move on, in order to make that contract in step three and to move on through the rest. And it applies everywhere, and everybody knows it deep down within. When you're hopeless, when you're beat, you need to find a source of hope. And sometimes it's spoken through other people. I was a vehicle. I'm sure I'm not the only vehicle in her life. I know her very well. I'm not. But, but you know, it, it was just such a privilege to be there. And I found myself, I was kind of self Okay, Sue, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yes. Um, we, welcome. We have to close thank the you meeting. for listening. Okay. Goodbye. Okay. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Thank you, Mary H., Julie R., Deb W., Penny C., Michelle H., Kim G., Sarah W., Larry, Rekefet, Leah, Rochelle, Sally, Barbara, Janice, Sharon, and Sue. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Michelle please read a vision for you? Yes, good morning, Michelle H., Recovering Compulsive Reader in Missouri. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass. Yes.